0: Listening to the Streak Center Podcast, and welcome, folks, to another edition of the Streak Center Podcast. I am your host, Noah Taluki. On our first edition of the 2023 calendar year, we have an absolutely loaded. Baked potato for you. I know it's we've taken a long hiatus from this. The last episode was uh, the two hour Jamie Daly special, Jamie Daly interview back uh, that aired on Thanksgiving. So we have not recorded since, but I am back. We are back here on Streak Center. And as I mentioned, a loaded baked potato and a special interview coming up later in the program. It's head men's and women's swimming and diving coach Tanner Barton. He will join us in studio to talk about his career and uh, about the the swimming's big win over Division I Canisius that we'll get to uh, in a little bit as well. But hopefully, everybody had a great Merry Christmas and a happy, happy new year and uh, enjoyed their holiday season. And uh, there's a lot to get caught up on in John Carroll football or in, in John Carroll athletics. And particularly, we'll talk about it later new football coach replacing interim head coach Drew Nystrom as well. But first, I want to start off with men's basketball. Men's basketball nationally ranked—they're back in the scene. It's been a while, really, since that 2017-2018 year where they've really been on that national stage, like they are now. 14 and two record. Their only blemish was, or their only two blemishes was a loss, 87 to 76, in Naples, Florida, on December 29th against Wisconsin Superior and then a loss to number 6 Mount Union in Alliance 75-72, only a one possession game. So they're 8 and 1 in OAC play as well. And they're coming off they they are officially on a six game winning streak coming off of a huge huge victory over Crosstown rival Baldwin Wallace on Wednesday. It was at the DeCarlo Varsity Center. It was a really really nice crowd. It was really great to see the student section out there. And getting loud as well, but uh, anytime a, a crosstown rivalry happens, uh, it, you know you you know things are going to get intense, and uh, they sure did. Of course, uh, John Carroll found themselves down by nine at the half, and Baldwin Wallace was making all kinds of shots uh, from left and right. I mean, they shot sixty three percent from the field, including seventy five from deep. They were nine of twelve on three point shooting, so it was a little bit scary at first. But the Blue Streaks, you know, being as composed. And as confident as they always are, they outscored the Yellow Jackets forty-nine thirty-five in the second half. And I, I gotta say too, this team is gelling very well. It, it, honestly, more quickly than I ever thought it would. Because you gotta remember, there are eight transfers on the seven-eight transfers on this team. These are guys coming from different programs and and, and whatnot. And you know, sometimes I question w- would they. Develop and would they mesh right away. And and really, for the most part, they've done an excellent job with chemistry. I mean, and also, another thing to remember, a lot of these guys have played with each other before. Not only just in high school, but in AAU ball. So this isn't like the first time that they've seen each other. And I got to say, one player in particular, Luke Frazier, transferred from Ohio University Division I, he could very well be on his way to being an All-American for John Carroll. Luke Fraser, thirty-six points he had against Baldwin Wallace, twelve of twenty-two from the field, four of seven from beyond the arc, and Luke Frazier, he's listed. He's, he's listed as a guard, but I mean, this guy is easily six-six-six-seven, and man, I mean, he can move, and 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 he is special because he can create space. He has a nasty—I got to say—a nasty spin-around jumper, fade away on the baseline that he really showcased against Walden Wallace. And, you know, 4 of 7 from beyond the arc, his ability to shoot, you know, any really from any spot on the floor, I think is really what makes Luke Frazier a, a very special player and a guy that I think could not only be player of the year in the OAC, but a guy, I mean, he's top 5 in scoring, you know, leading the league in, a, in steals as well. He could be one of the best players in the country. Luke Chacon, in my opinion, is the best point guard in the OAC. This is a transfer... From Youngstown State, who came in as this, uh, he was a six man off the bench, freshman from Menner, Pete Moran, co- head coach Pete Moran's nephew. Nice, nice 18 points. You had Luca Eller coming into his own as well because the uh, Will Yontek, the, the normal starter, has been out for the last couple games. So Luca Eller's had to step in and start. He had a double double, 14 points, 11 rebounds in that game against Baldwin Wallace. And then who could forget you got Chase Toppin as well, a guy that. Scored 18 points a game last season before a season-ending knee injury. He's back into the starting lineup after the first couple games. He came off the bench. You know he's a guy that can contribute any night as well. And of course, in the in the, other, the other starter in the lineup, Connor O'Toole, he's a guy that doesn't really show up in the stat sheet. I mean, he didn't score at all against Baldwin Wallace, but a guy that does a lot of things. He only shot one time as well. But he's a guy that does a lot of things that don't show up on the stat sheet. I mean, you know, you just think from his stats, how much can he really contribute? 0-for-1 from the field, only two rebounds, only one assist, no points, no blocks, no steals. I mean, the stats don't show how hard this guy plays. That's why he's in the starting lineup. Connor O'Toole, the junior from uh, from Gilmore Academy, brother of Owen O'Toole, who used to be on the basketball team, and then the son of Sean O'Toole, who played for John Carroll in the late 80s and early 90s. So he's got a a lot of legacy here. And he plays very, very hard, and uh, he's always diving for those loose balls. He got a lot stronger in the off season as well, and really good to see him, you know, chipping in even even though he doesn't uh, stand up there on the on the stat sheet. You got guys coming off the bench like Jerry Higgins, transfer from the Citadel Military School, grad transfer. He went to villangela St. Joseph for high school, very good basketball school. He chips in. He's a great defender as well. Then you get Eric Hanna who. Uh, it was two for three on three-pointers. You know, he's a guy that can contribute and, and shoot that long ball in only seven minutes as well, was able to score eight points. David Gentry getting some time in for the injured Will Yontek and, and getting into that rotation. Even guys like Henry Rayner, who started during the beginning of the year, he's more a delegated to bench well, This is just such a deep team. They're not really going five in, five out as much anymore, but... Uh, a very impressive win, I would say. And being able to battle back and really shut Baldwin Wallace down in that second half. I mean, they only shot 17% from the field after shooting 75% from beyond the arc in the first half. I apologize, 17% from beyond the arc, 41% compared to 62 from the field. So uh, the defense definitely was there in the second half that is for sure but really really excited about this John Carroll men's basketball team this is the be- like i said this is probably the best team that the Blue Streaks have had since their championship year in 2018 14 and 2 now they're to their second half of the schedule so they've played every OAC team now they got to play them again they'll start off with Muskingum at New in New Concord on January 21st tomorrow as we're recording here on a Friday night and then Perhaps the biggest game of the year that could determine home court advantage in the OAC tournament, the number one seed, possibly Wednesday, January 25th, against the University of Mount Union, the Purple Raiders, who the Blue Streaks are tied for first with right now. Both are sitting at 8-1 and one records. Mount Union's one loss in OAC play to Heidelberg earlier this season. That's at the Carlo Varsity Center. I'm sure that will be even a bigger crowd than it was against Baldwin Wallace last week. We're gonna move on now to women's basketball, and I, I just got to say the women's team has really struggled this year. They've lost four straight. Uh, they they're coming off of a of a bad eighty one sixty loss in Berea against Baldwin Wallace, who's now the number ten team in the country on the women's side, and uh, three straight home losses as well. Back on January seventh, losing to battling against a, a nationally ranked Ohio Northern team, but they lost sixty eight fifty nine. Otterbein, they lost 6248 Wilmington at home they lost 66 51. it's you know it's 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 just obvious it's not the same team as last year you know when you lose players like Nicole heffington you lose players like Olivia Nagy, and, and basically the whole starting lineup you know there's going to be some growing pains especially with the the youngsters on the team I mean you just had two seniors you have Kaylin Underwood and Jalen Hoffman and Kaylin or Kaylin Underwood was hurt for a little bit she you know she didn't play in Florida they won both of those games in Florida then they killed Heidelberg 8449 in the first game of 2023 the calendar year but they just have not been the same team since and they've had to p- face off against some really good teams i mean this is the, this is probably the upper half of the OAC that they're playing but dropping to 3 and 6 now in OAC play this year and uh, just like i said i just think that there's just a lot of growing pains i mean you have players like Ava uh, Rinkars and Carmen Huker and and, and Bella Pole. not that they're bad players or or anything like that. I mean, I think they have really bright futures, but you got to remember, they are freshmen. They are going to take some growing pains. It's going to take a little bit of time. I'm not giving up on this team or anything like that. I still think that this team has a bright future, especially with the youth. But, you know, you're going to see some growing pains, especially after, you know, the little four or five year dynasty, uh, quote unquote, that the Blue Streaks have had. Under Nicole Heffington and Olivia Nagy and, and, and some others, so just uh, unfortunately four straight losses. Really hoping that the Blue Streaks can can get back to to at least uh, at least stay a little bit above five hundred as they're just sitting at eight and eight right now. But uh, the second half of the OAC schedule as well, they'll head to New Concord and play at four p.m. tomorrow on Saturday, uh, part of that doubleheader that the OAC likes doing. And they'll head to Alliance and play Mount Union on Wednesday, January twenty fifth at 7 p.m. as well. So they've beaten Muskingum and Mount Union. Uh, they beat very close games as well. 62-59 back on December 3rd was Muskingum, and then 64-63 against the Purple Raiders on December 7th. So uh, by the skin of their teeth, I guess they, they beat both of those teams. Hopefully the Blue Streaks can do it again and uh, you know gain a couple spots in, in the OAC uh, so they can gain a little bit of momentum before the tournament starts. Which will be towards the end of February. Moving on now to the men's and women's swimming and diving team, and uh, we'll we'll hear more from Tanner Barton, head coach of the the men's and women's swimming and diving teams later on in the program. But uh, but the men's team with a historic win over Canisius, Division One school out of uh, Buffalo, New York. They won 120 and a half to 106 and a half as well the women's team unfortunately losing to canisius 158 to 85 but that was a very hard hard fought meet as well and and tanner will tell you a little bit about that later but i gotta say so the swim team has been around for 48 years they've never beaten a division one opponent ever now they've beaten teams like akron and duquesne in their history who are division one schools now however Akron and Duquesne were not Division One teams at the time JCU swam against them. So that's why the win against Canisius in a dual meet is the first time the Blue Streaks have ever defeated a Division One school. And kind of like a program-defining win. I think it kind of shows that maybe divisions, sometimes divisions don't matter as much when it comes to certain sports like, like swimming. And it's, it's, it's all about you need your times and your work ethic and all that. And Tanner will get to that message later, but... I gotta say, so you know, they started off the meet really strong, and I think what really what happened was these last five events. That's really what won it for the Blue Streaks. It was the hundred free, the hundred back, five hundred free, one hundred breast, and two hundred free relay. Those were key because the Blue Streaks outscored 57 fifty-seven thirty-six, and basically, uh, you know, you know, a lot of swimmers really stepped up for them. Jake Farr, you know, he won the hundred. He won the hundred free. And uh, also Jonah Venos, uh, all American for John Carroll, he won the hundred breast. Um, you know, so these these were must win situations uh, for 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 John Carroll, and they definitely came came uh, came to the occasion. If you want, you got to remember too, the men's team they won without Jonah Durr. Jonah Durr did not swim this weekend, and he he's a guy that has been probably the best freshman the Blue Streaks have had. A guy that will really contribute. At OACs, this uh, in in about a month in February, and uh, they, yeah, they did it without without him. So I think it just speaks to the depth of this team and how you know the senior leadership guys like J- Jonah Venos and Liam McDonald and, and Jake Farr and Aidan O'Neill and Johnny Simoes. You know, these a the very senior heavy team, and and you look at you look at the OAC. You know, not a lot not a lot of schools in the OAC have as many seniors as the Blue Streaks do. And the seniors, not only their seniors and older, but they have that experience. I mean, Liam McDonald was an all-star level swimmer since his freshman year. Same with Jonah Venos. So, you know, these guys come in with a lot of experience, and and they've been through. You know, they've been to multiple national championships as well. So that's great for the young swimmers, and and really, you know, they can rally the the, the whole team can rally around them as well. And just a couple of highlights from the women's side. Uh, in addition, a uh, couple—they uh, only won a couple of events. Gwyneth Hamilton ended up winning uh, the 53 in a time of 24.93, and also they won the 200 medley relay, team of Maddie Panis, Olivia Goodman, Marin Dalziel, and Ashley Lynch. 153.36. Two of those are freshmen, Olivia Goodman and Marin Dalziel, both from the state of Michigan. Both of them are going to be key contributors this year, probably. Uh, most likely at OACs as well. They're they're swimmers that could potentially be all Americans, and we'll and Tanner and I will talk about that later as well. But uh, really good to see, even even though the loss, you know, obviously against a Division One school, uh, they lost by seventy three three points. But you know, overall, though, I think there was some really good, uh, really good events that. These swimmers swam, and it's good, especially the the freshmen like Mary Hoffman and um, and Marian Dalziel and, and and Goodman and and Copelman and, and uh, Lauren Copelman and some of these other swimmers. Really good to have them get that experience against a Division One team, being so young as well. And I have to shout out the divers: Catherine Steinwatts, Sarah Roar, Rares, uh, Catherine Visco. They all they each scored team points in the one meter dives. Steinwatts placed second in the three meter dives. Uh, as well, and Hanlon and Visco also scored uh, for John Carroll in the three meters. So, uh, you know, Lewis Fellinger, who's been the diving coach for men's and women since 1995, he's the longest as- a tenured assistant coach. And I say assistant because Mike Moran has been the head coach of the men's golf team for over 30 years. He's the longest tenured assistant coach of any sport here at John Carroll. So, Lewis Fellinger always doing a great job uh, with with his divers. That is for sure. And the Blue Streaks, their next dual meet will be against Baldwin Wallace on Friday, January 27th at 6 p.m. in Berea. And then the next day will be Senior Day against Wilmington at 1 p.m. at the Johnson Natatorium at John Carroll on Saturday, January 28th. And that'll be it. The last two dual meets before OACs in Akron, which will be on February 15th through the 18th, Wednesday through Saturday. Uh, This is the second year now where they've had just one event, the 800 free relay on Wednesday, as well, to just kind of get that out of the way before the main action on Thursday through Saturday. Uh, John Carroll, we are planning on broadcasting that myself and Oliver Wensler, the son of the late great Chris Wensler, who would, who is a big big staple with the swim broadcast at OACs as well. So I'm really really looking forward to that, uh, and and our interview with with Tanner later as well. The final sport to uh, highlight real quick is wrestling. Uh, wrestling eight and one in dual meets this year. They they went to uh Florida and they beat St. Thomas 30 to 22 and they also beat Brewer Brewton Parker College 50 to 6. They came off a big win over Wilmington 58-0 as well back on Tuesday this week. The lone dual meet that the Blue Streaks have at home the rest of the season. And Uh, Wilmington only had 5 wrestlers So John Carroll was basically guaranteed Because John Carroll fills up each weight class They're able to get some voids uh, At at the weight classes that Wilmington doesn't have So each of the wins that the Blue Streaks actually had Was uh, Patrick McGraw He had a pin In in just over 2 minutes A tech fall then followed from Ryan Forrest At 165 Adam Salick also got a tech fall Which was the 3rd match And then Tom Blackwell He at at heavyweight. He had a pin in about four and a half minutes. So um, racking up a an an easy victory over Wilmington, and uh, they'll be back in action on Saturday at the OAC Quad, which is being hosted by Ohio Northern. So ONU will be there, Muskingum, and Baldwin Wallace as well. So uh, getting some OAC wrestling experience because remember the OAC about ten years ago got rid of the OAC tournament for wrestling so you know a lot of it has to do with how you wrestle you know at these oac meets it's because there's not really like a a playoff uh per se now it's just more so you you just go right to regionals uh which will be in late february february 24th and 25th that's actually being hosted at case western as well and then kind of like a a tune-up to that is the pete wilson invitational which is at wheaton college which they uh, the blue streaks go to every year that'll be on january 27th and 28th friday and a saturday Just outside of Chicago in Wheaton. Coming up next, we have a special interview with Tanner Barton, the head coach of the men's and women's swimming and diving programs. You don't want to miss this one, folks, only on the Streak Center podcast. streak center on jcusports.com be sure to follow us on twitter at StreakCenterJCU to stay up to date on guests episodes and more now let's get back to the show And joining me now here on the Streak Center podcast is a very special guest, a very special coach here at John Carroll, the men's swimming and diving coach and women's coach here at John Carroll, Tanner Barton Tanner it's it's such an honor to have you on I know we were talking about it before that you've never had an interview like this before uh, it's so so happy so honored that you're on
1: yeah well thank you very much Noah for for welcoming welcoming me here into the sound booth and I'm excited to chat with you uh, as we you know recap the season and get ready for the the championship season that lies in front of us
0: I gotta say Beating a Division I school in Canisius on the men's side last Saturday, you've got you to be really impressed by that. You've got to be really, really happy, especially coming off that Florida trip just two days rest after that. I'm sure you had all smiles there.
1: Yeah, no, I was extremely proud of how our team came together, and the men were able to come out on top against Canisius, and you know, they really rallied around one another, and they came through with their swims. Um, and the women, they put up a really tough fight against Canisius, but the women were supporting the men, cheering on the men and we truly are one program so that men's victory while it's it's reflective of what those gentlemen did in the water it's truly a testament to what our program is doing and how we're training and how we're competing day in and day out
0: you know i gotta say you know i heard you talk to the team after and just talking about how you know that you just you guys just showed that divisions don't matter you know and i know Mm -hmm. a lot of these swimmers that that you have at John Carroll, um, they could they could have been Division One swimmers. So you know what is it about that Division Three environment here at John Carroll that? you were able to get these swimmers to, to come here instead of go off to D1 schools.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and we recruit against mid major Division I mm-hmm. schools and Division II schools. And a lot of our student athletes could be successful in those programs. But what one of the things that we really emphasize and one of the things that separates John Carroll University and our swimming and diving program is the fact that swimming and diving is a piece of the puzzle. It is not the entire puzzle when these prospects are going off to college. It it should complement their entire collegiate career and it should add to their experience. It shouldn't be dominating their entire four years. So being able to work hard and compete at a very high national level while still having the ability to succeed academically and be involved in campus ministry and other extracurriculars, it's a true blend of all interests coming together as one. I want to
0: ask you about a couple of you know, swimmers in particular, both you know, men's and the women's side. I know Liam McDonald, Jonah Venos. I mean, those guys. You know, you're all Americans coming back. Michael Heller. You know, this is a team, a men's team with a lot of experience as well, but mixed in with a couple of young guys, Joe Nadir, freshman, who's who's had an outstanding season. So. You know how have you seen these the the guys team you know really grow and mature um, not only just this season but really especially the older guys the last couple of years
1: uh, absolutely so we have a really really strong senior class right now and they do a great job working hard but also understanding uh, what it takes to be successful uh, and it's not always stressing out or focusing on the times. It's enjoying the moment and being with your teammates. And I think that they have been able to share those lessons with our freshmen. We have a lot of speed in our freshman class, and I'm very, very excited about what they will accomplish this coming February, but also throughout their four years. But one of the big lessons that they're learning from our upperclassmen is that you can be successful and you can work hard, but when you get behind the block and when you're competing – trust in yourself, trust in your training and enjoy that time with your teammates because when you're enjoying the time and when you're relaxed behind the block, you're going to put up much faster times. I
0: want to ask you about the women's team as well because you know, the men's team has had a lot of all-Americans the last couple of years and then you know the women's team has still won the OAC but they haven't really been, you know, at that level in terms of national qualifiers as as the men's. But you have a lot of of ladies right now that especially freshmen that are are getting really fast and uh, Marin Dalziel and Olivia Goodman and uh, Coleman and a couple of the other ladies uh you know how how is it that the women's program can you know get up on par possibly with the men's in terms of you know national qualifiers and all that
1: yeah that's a that's a great question, and that's something that we talk about as a staff and we also talk about as a team they are incredibly successful. our ladies do so much in the water and, and in the conference, but we do want to get to that that national level. And we want to be sending relays to the NCAA championship. And that is something that we talked about with those individuals you you mentioned. Olivia Goodman, Marin Dalziel, Lauren Copelman, Mary Hoffman. We talked about what it will take to get to that next level. And I think that the lessons that the upperclassmen are sharing with those current freshmen and then the freshmen's future that class's ability to lead this program down the road will really set us up for success. So, we still have great talent in coming in next fall. And, you know, those, those individuals who are now freshmen will be sophomores and juniors, and they will lead the way and, and make sure that our women are being represented at the national championship just like the men. I want
0: to ask you about the Florida trip as well. I know that was just after the new year began. And uh, like I mentioned before, just basically two days rest uh, after the Canisius meet, you guys got back on that Thursday night. How was uh, that Florida trip? Uh, I'm sure you caught some sun. Looks like you're a little bit tan. I saw the <laughs> the whole team was so much more tan than Canisius that, on Saturday. <laughs> that
1: That is true. That is true. I, uh, I will say I love coaching outdoors. There's something mm-hmm. about being... Uh, barefoot when you're on a pool deck you feel very connected and grounded to the earth and it's a it's a great feeling you don't have to worry about water seeping into your tennis shoes and Mm -hmm. making your feet wet uh but no the the florida trip was a fantastic opportunity for our program we're able to go on that florida trip because our student athletes work hard with their fundraising efforts we have alumni who went on training trips and they want those same experiences for the current team members and and when we're down there we train hard we had 10 Training sessions. We were training in a long course meters pool at Florida International University. We were really getting up off the blocks and doing some fast swimming. But at the same time, in between practices, they're spending time on the beach and the athletes are really growing closer to one another in a very organic way. And, you know, the very last day we ended with a uh, beach volleyball tournament. Uh, the I can't tell you how many games of spike ball our, <laughs> our men and, and women were playing, but it was a, a fantastic opportunity where we put in the work, but also were able to grow closer to one another. So then we could come back and like you mentioned, swim lights out against Canisius because we are one unit and one family. And uh, your hotel was right by the beach too, wasn't it? Yes. If we're going to go to Florida, I I try to find a hotel that's within walking distance from the beach. So those athletes can head on over if they want uh, in between practices and we don't have to coordinate – van trips to the Mm. beach and worry about beach parking it's it's much better to stay within walking distance so then you can go out and enjoy the sun and enjoy the ocean during your downtime
0: and there were there some dry land uh, exercises as well that you guys did on the sand
1: yes yes there were we actually our our very first practice was a a dry land session Mm. on the beach and uh, we were you know in the waves and doing some open water swimming in addition to burpees and squats in the sand
0: Hope the salt water didn't get anyone's <laughs> eyes over there. Uh, def- different than the Great Lakes up here. I'll, t- I'll tell you that when uh, yes. swimming in the
1: lake for sure.
0: But uh, I, I want to ask you about your personal journey as well, Tanner. Um, you know, of course you're. I think I think I believe you're the youngest head coach here at John Carroll. You're gonna be 28 in June, and you took this job in 2020 when you were 25. Mm-hmm. Um, why was it that you decided to come to John Carroll? Of course, you were a head coach as a uh, at uh, Anderson University in Indiana for one year before coming here. So why did you want to come to John Carroll, apply here, especially for a guy who was so young, taking over a very successful program at age 25? Yeah,
1: well, well, there are a few different reasons why I decided to apply. And I'm very fortunate that I am here and, and leading our men's and women's swimming and diving programs. Uh, but, you know, one of those reasons is because of the recent success of John Carroll S- University and John Carroll swimming and diving programs. Uh, another reason is the fact that it is a Jesuit institution. So I myself was born and raised Catholic, and my spiritual wellness is something that is very important to me, and I welcomed the opportunity to join an institution where I could not only develop my spiritual side to a greater depth, but I could also help in mentoring our student-athletes as they're going through this process and and forming their own faith developments. Uh, Another reason why I was drawn to John Carroll University is there— It is in Ohio, so I was an assistant coach at Cleveland State University in the past, and I was at Cleveland State prior to Anderson, and I loved the Cleveland area. There's something special about Northeast Ohio and the professional sporting teams that we have in the downtown area. Uh, You know, Lake Erie, sure, it can get a bad rap, but it's nice to go for a run by Lake Erie or head over to Edgewater Beach. So, you know, that was another drawing point. Uh, And then lastly, I would say when I was going through the interview process, one of the things that really stood out to me was how genuine the people were at John Carroll University. And it felt like they were not putting on a show. They were truly being genuine and interested in my coaching philosophy and what I could do to help. Elevate our programs. So all of those factors in one uh, helped me to, uh, you know, pursue this opportunity and and ultimately accept when I was offered the position.
0: We're talking with Tanner Barton, head men's and women's swimming and diving coach here at John Carroll. Tanner, getting to know you, getting to know you over the last couple years, uh, I I really would say that you are, you know, you are a man of faith, and uh, you know, you you talked about how. You you really wanted to come here because of those Jesuit principles and and because of how it how it fit your um, you know your upbringing and, and your values and all that. What are some specific ways that you use those Jesuit principles that are taught here at John Carroll in, into what you do for uh, in coaching?
1: Yeah, well, I am a, a huge fan of cura personalis, so mm-hmm. care for the entire. Uh, person and their well-being. And I think that's something that is ingrained in who I am as a coach and how I lead these programs. Uh, Yes, we want our swimmers to be incredibly fast. And yes, we want them to make waves, uh, no pun intended, at the, Mm -hmm. the national championship meet. But more than that, I want them to be successful in all aspects of their life. I want to make sure that they are taken care of emotionally and mentally. I want to make sure that they have a strong social support system. And I want to make sure that intellectually and academically, they are succeeding and they are putting themselves in a position to be a well-rounded young man or, or young woman once they graduate. So, you know, focusing on our student-athletes as individuals is, is key to everything we do. Uh, another thing that I think is special about our program, and it's something we talk to our prospects about, is the fact that we always start each meet with an Our Father. And it's uh, a way for us to honor um, you know who we are as an institution, but to center ourselves before we we go upstairs and we start that medley relay and and get the fast swimming kicked off. So it's it's nice to incorporate that into who we are as a program and and what we are continuing to do.
0: Is there someone in the swimming world that you look up to uh, as someone a, a coach?
1: Yeah. So. Uh, I would actually say uh, two individuals come to mind. Uh, The first is Dave Cook. He was my club swim coach. Uh, He started coaching me when I was in eighth grade, and then he coached me all the way throughout my uh, first year of college. And he was someone who uh, taught me a lot about swimming and how to uh, write practice sets and how to make sure that what you're doing in practice will transfer over into the meets. Uh, the second individual is Bob Thomas, and Bob mm-hmm. Thomas was my uh, head coach at Ball State University all four years, and then I had the unique ability to also work under Bob Thomas. And one of the things that Bob really impressed on me was the fact that here, as, you know, as coaches, the number one thing that we need to focus on is the care of our student-athletes. And there may be so many different things that we have to, to manage and control, but when push comes to shove, what is going to be in the best interest of the student-athletes? And uh, he is someone that I still keep in touch with regularly. Uh, he's, he's enjoying his retirement in uh, Chicago, Illinois with his grandbabies. But he was just a fantastic mentor and someone that uh, made my college experience so enjoyable and encouraged me to pursue collegiate coaching. Has
0: he, uh, has he come to any John Carroll meets yet?
1: He has not, no. Yeah. We, got, we have to get him out here to Cleveland. <laughs> or if uh, we head over to the Chicago area, I will make sure that he is in the stands and wearing blue and gold.
0: That's awesome. And uh, just uh, as Tanner mentioned, he did swim four years at Ball State, class of 2017. Uh, before that, he went to Jerome High School in uh, Dublin, outside of, outside of Columbus mm-hmm. as well. So we, uh, very competitive club uh, in high school over there, that's for sure. But uh, being a former swimmer, and 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 all of that, and especially being so young, you know, you're basically within ten years or so of these student athletes. How does being a former student athlete help you relate to what these swimmers are going through? This hard training and all that.
1: Yeah, I I think that uh, because I'm I'm not as removed from the world of swimming as some other coaches, I'm really able to remember what it feels like. Uh, during different parts of the season. So right now, for example, our student athletes are pretty beaten up. We just got done with the the Florida training trip. They swam a lot of yards. We were swimming uh, at higher intensities. We started lifting again this week before we enter into the taper phase. And I remember what that exhaustion and fatigue feels like. So I am able to relate with them. And also I'm able to reassure them that that is okay. It is okay if your body isn't feeling the best right now. And then when we head into the taper season, I was a swimmer, and and I, you know, admit this, I used to put a lot of pressure on myself. Bob Thomas didn't put pressure on me. My parents didn't put any pressure on me, but I would put pressure on myself. And looking back on it, I wish I didn't put as much pressure on myself so I could truly enjoy each and every opportunity I had to race. And that is something that I really try to impress upon my student athletes here at John Carroll. Uh, I, I see when they're nervous and I can tell based on how they are acting behind the blocks and if they're fidgeting or if they're bouncing up and down. And I'm able to help... Ground and center them so they can enjoy the moment rather than looking back after the season or after they graduate from John Carroll and wish they were more intentional with what they were doing. Mm -hmm.
0: I know you talk a lot about tapers as well, and that's a big that's a big word in swimming. I, I personally know what it is, but just for the for the audience out there. There's all kinds of different definitions of tapers with other things. what is tapering in swimming? <laughs> please explain Tammy.
1: no, that's a that's a great question uh, and and you're right. It's one of those hot topics that nobody truly can can define. Mm-hmm. Uh, but taper, the best way to describe it is is to use an analogy. So throughout the course of the season, In our sport, especially when it comes to swimmers, we want to increase the amount of yardage they're doing on a daily basis. We want to increase the intensity, increase how much weight they're lifting, increase the level of of dry land uh, exercises. And and we do that throughout the course of the season. And then with about one to, to four weeks, depending on the athlete, we pull back on that intensity. We pull back on the weightlifting, we pull back on the number of of practices we have. And the the reasoning behind that is to give the muscles the the best chance to repair and recover. So then when that starting buzzer goes off at the championship meet, those muscles are relaxed and ready to fire and engage and the fast twitch muscle fibers are at an all-time high. Um, So that is the essence of taper. And the analogy is a mountain. You climb up that mountain. So you're adding the yardage. You're adding the intensity. You climb up and up and up and up and up. And then right before the championship meet, you come down that mountain. And for anybody who's been a skier, you know that when you come down the mountain, it's a lot easier and you move a lot quicker and a lot faster than when you go up.
0: Yeah, that, that
1: that I say you, you you
0: hit the nail on the head there with, with that definition. <laughs> I think that that's that, that's great to explain. Uh, that's for sure. Now we had Kyle Bassista and Jordan Doerr on uh, before the new year,
1: and two great coaches. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yep.
0: And I asked them about because Kyle Basista has a really unique approach of tailoring to the individual athlete, and is so tailoring their workouts differently than others is this something that happens in swimming a lot or is it more so okay all the butterflyers in this section all the backstrokers or is it you is each person on their different workout
1: no absolutely there is You know, there are individualized plans. Uh, What we do here at John Carroll and what has proved to be the most successful is having three distinct training groups. So there are days when our swimmers are in their respective training group. Uh, One group is focused more on pure power, and those swimmers primarily swim the 50 free, the 100 free, the 100 fly, the 100 backstroke. The second group is focused on uh, mid-distance or stroke specialty. So those swimmers primarily swim the 200 butterfly, the 200 breaststroke, 200 backstroke, uh, 200 IM, uh, and some 200 freestylers. And then the last group, uh, we call it the lightning group, but it's what you would (laughs) consider to be your your distance crew. So 400 IMers, 500 freestylers, 1,000 and 1,650. So we create workouts based on the practice group, but then when we head into taper, we also alter workouts based on body composition. So people who have a greater amount of muscle mass will need additional rest. Uh, And also we do it by gender. So women can normally keep their aerobic base up for a higher amount or for a longer duration. So it's not uncommon at the very end of our season to also see women and men doing a differing amount of rounds, uh, or practices, uh, when compared to their counterparts. Are these
0: techniques, different things that you've learned from these coaches that you looked up to over the years, or is it going to, do you you learn it from coaching clinics or I'm I'm just curious how you you learn, especially being so young as well. Yeah.
1: I would say it's a, it's a mixture of what I have learned as an athlete and as a coach Mm -hmm. and different things that i picked up along the way. Uh, but I would also credit a lot of my coaching style and the and the way that we split up our team uh, based on my master's degree. I earned my master's of science and exercise physiology with a concentration in sport performance. And that curriculum uh, really proved to me how important it is to rest and how important it is to make sure that student athletes and, and athletes in general have The amount of time that they need to let those muscles repair and recover because one of the worst things that you can do, especially in a sport like swimming, is overtrain. And there is a point in time when you want to overtrain and you want to, you know, make sure that those athletes are really, really putting in the work. But when it comes to those big championship meets, I err on the side that rest is best. So if we are doing what you should be in the year, rest is best. And that I attest to the curriculum uh, in my master's program. Mm.
0: Very, very interesting there. And you know, I mentioned before you were the head coach at Anderson in Indiana for for just one year. You were, I believe, you have twenty four years old. Mm. Was a very different programs, obviously, between Anderson. Way more swimmers with John Carroll. Way more successful. But is there anything that you took away from your first season as a head coach that helped you a lot with with your your John Carroll job now?
1: Oh, so, so many things. Um, yeah. You know, I was only at Anderson for one season, uh, almost eighteen months, um, but it was it was a great opportunity for me to become a head coach for the very first time. It was a great way for me to understand the logistics that go into planning a season, and uh, you know, as as the head coach at Anderson, I grew by having more confidence in what, it, in what it was that I was doing and in my meet lineups. So you're always going to have uh, you know some anxieties when you're creating your very first meet lineup or when you're uh, you know putting together an entire season plan. But being able to do that at Anderson and having such selfless and grateful student-athletes made you know, the world of a difference. And I'm very grateful for... Uh, the experiences I had at Anderson and also some of the peers that I met.
0: Just a couple more questions for you, uh, Tanner. You are very, you're a really big speaker and and really big advocate for diabetes care and awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, You're yourself a diabetic as well. Um, You know, what is it that makes you so open about this? Because I feel like sometimes people don't want to talk about it as much, but you've been to conference. I mean, you went to to Europe to talk about diabetes and all that as well.
1: Yeah, no, it's... uh... Diabetes is a part of me. Um, mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was eight years old in, in 2003, and it it came as quite a shock to, to me and to my entire family. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease, but we have no family history. So I remember my parents took me to our, our family doctor, and they were reassuring me that everything would be okay, and uh, you know maybe I had uh, a flu or a urinary tract infection, and, or, you know, maybe I just had a, another sickness and I needed an antibiotic. Well, we went to the family doctor, and then I was immediately rushed to Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, and I spent the next uh, five nights and six days at the hospital. And my family and I went through a crash course of everything we needed to know about type 1 diabetes. And I remember when I was eight years old uh, and I was leaving the hospital, my eight year old self thought, all right, I'm leaving the hospital. I'm I'm all better. Uh, I'm going to go back to my carefree pre-type 1 diabetes life. Uh, and I quickly came to the realization that, that that was not the case. And once I came to that realization, I struggled. And I would constantly fight with the question, why me? Why was I diagnosed with type 1 diabetes? I was the only person in my elementary school. I was the only person in my middle school, and it was very difficult to come to terms with. Uh, And I think part of the reason why I am so rooted in my faith is because of my type 1 diabetes diagnosis. Because I remember, I clearly remember my parents having me speak with Monsignor Hendricks at our our home parish in in Dublin, Ohio. And uh, I wanted an answer. Everyone said that God only deals you the, the cards that, that you can handle. And I wanted an answer straight from God Himself. And I, I wasn't going to get it. Uh, but Monsignor Hendricks challenged me to ask myself, why not me rather than why me? And I was nine years old and I still remember that. And I'm telling you this story right now and getting some goosebumps. Uh, but it was in that moment when I decided, you know what? If I have to live with this chronic disease 24 seven, I want to do something about it, and I want to improve not only my life, but the lives of those living with type 1. So I quickly became a youth ambassador for the Central Ohio chapter of the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, and from there I became involved at a national level. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, I sat on an inaugural council to inform board of directors about what challenges we were facing uh, as as individuals living with type one and specifically as high school students with type one. And then I, I moved on and became an international spokesperson. So if it weren't for my coming to term with the disease when I was nine years old and throughout my my elementary and middle school years... I would not be where I am today, I would not be confident, and I would not be able to look you in the face and say, yes, Noah, I'm I'm a proud type 1 diabetic, and there's no shame in that.
0: I definitely think it takes a lot of courage uh, for someone like you to say that, especially someone so young, you know, when you were first diagnosed with it, so I uh, really admire you for that, Tanner, and, and I think a lot of uh, other people should as well. But uh, final, final question for you, Tanner, you guys are, uh, both men's and women's, are going for seven straight. Ohio Athletic Conference Championships this year. It's going to be in mid-February at the ok Natatorium in Akron, as always. What's it going to take to defend these crowns? Because teams like Ohio Northern and Mount Union, both on the men's and women's side, they're they're coming this year. They they they've gotten some better swimmers, and they want I know they want to take the crown from us. Oh,
1: yep they they uh, they are strong programs, and yeah. you know we, the target on our back just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, but our student athletes are, are ready to rise to the the challenge. Um, you know wh- what is it going to take? It's going to take fast swimming and well-executed dives. That's a given. But more than that, it's going to make sure that we are taking each race and each day one at a time. So our championship meet is three and a half days, and we get started with those 800 freestyle relays. We have some really strong 200 freestylers in our program, and I think that we can get started on a high note, but it's important to know that each event and each day adds to the entire championship standing. So... If we start out strong, that's great. But then, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, we need to continue to show up and deliver. And I think that if our team really bands together and keeps that in mind, uh, you know, February eighteenth, the last day of the OAC championship, will be a very memorable and special day.
0: Tanner Barton, head men's and women's swimming and diving coach here at John Carroll. Tanner, thank you so much for an outstanding interview and really happy you were able to come on. And best of luck the rest of the season and for OA season beyond.
1: Th- thank you so much, Nella. It was a joy to come on, and I appreciate all that you do for John Carroll. You're listening to Streak
0: Center on JCUsports.com. For the latest news on all things JCU Sports, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at JCU Sports, or visit JCUsports.com. Now, let's get back to the show. And a big special thank you to Tanner Barton for coming on to the Streak Center podcast. I know he's never been on before, so uh, he was was really, really pumped, really excited to be on Streak Center. And, you know, I love having the student-athletes on. And uh, it's really, really about highlighting them and their and their journeys. But I also like to have coaches on once in a while to hear their stories, to hear how their programs are run, and hear about their experiences at John Carroll, why they got into coaching, and uh, other personal things about them as well. And I think Tanner did an awesome, awesome job with that interview. And you know, he's he's really he really is me being able to get to know him the last two years. You know, he really is a man of faith uh, when I say that. I really mean that. And I know that he does his absolute best he can to really help spread those Jesuit principles that we really pride ourselves on here at John Carroll, being that Jesuit university and uh, onto his swimmers uh, and divers, that is for sure. A couple of final notes before we end the program here this week. Uh, the indoor track hasn't really started completely yet. There will be most of the team will run this weekend. At a at a meet at Spire out in Geneva this weekend, but today we're recording here on a Friday. Couple runners at Youngstown State, Erica Esper, senior. She's been on Street Center before. You know she was with Caleb Correa back uh, when they uh, when we did the nationals for cross country that episode. She works in the sports information office as well. She just broke the indoor mile record at Youngstown State today, 502.92, breaking Gab Cruz's record that she set in 2014. Gab Cruz, of course, is now the in-game host for the Cleveland Guardians uh, of the MLB. You can see her at games on the big screen. And uh, how about that? Erica Esper breaking that record was about by a second as well as Gab's record was about 503. So... Uh, and she's got another attempt at uh, the distance in the distance race tomorrow uh, at at that meet at spire. but I know I was texting Erica earlier. She is very, very happy about this record. and uh you know she's she's just was definitely a goal of hers to to do it. so um, you know it, it couldn't have happened to anyone better as well uh, because you know, she she's just she's really represents being a woman of Carol and. You know everything that she does with being a leader as well. Not only not only is she a great runner and a great athlete in, in all that, but just to her work ethic, her mental toughness, I think is something that really really makes her special. And uh, really good to see Erica uh, get that mile. Big congratulations to her that mile record breaking. Gab Cruz's nine year old record now as well. And final note before we end. Um, there was a overbreak. There wasn't. There was a change with the football coach here at John Carroll. Jeff Behrman being hired uh, by JCU as the nineteenth head football coach in John Carroll history, replacing interim head coach Drew Nystrom. Jeff Behrman is as is, uh, is an alum. He's class of nineteen ninety five, and he is uh, he was the former head coach at Union College, which is a school in upstate New York. Not too far from Albany, not too far from Cooperstown, where the Baseball Hall of Fame is, and he played quarterback for the Blue Streaks. Uh, he was under Tony DiCarlo, and uh, you know some of the other legendary coaches uh, and and really legendary quarterbacks. So I he was backup for PJ Insana in the early '90s, and then. He started a game in his senior year and then I believe he got injured and then that kind of led the way for Nick Cassario to start as a freshman now the Texans general manager in 1995 as well. So uh, really big congratulations to Jeff Behrman on being hired. I know he's really, really happy and really excited to get started. Uh, he has a lot of experience. He's in his late 40s so he's been uh, he's like I mentioned, he's been at Union College. He was an assistant coach at Stony Brook in New York before that. So and they're, and they're an FCS school. Uh, which is on they're they're located on long island. So and he's been at a couple other stops as well, but he's been coaching since the late 90s. So a lot of experience that he brings and being and understanding that he is a man of Carol and and all that as well is uh is is really awesome. And uh, I know he brought he brought a new offensive coordinator in as well from Union Trevor James is his name. And um I know they're really excited and and it's still kind of up in the air as who's who's staying and who's leaving. Uh, but we do know that Matt Baker has left uh, offensive coordinator for John Carroll. He left to take an offensive coordinator job and quarterback coach job at Catawba College, which is in which is a I believe a Division three school in North Carolina. North Carolina, of course, is where uh, Coach Baker played quarterback at for the Tar Heels. So he's back in in the same state where he played his college ball. And then Jeff Long, defensive coordinator, beloved beloved coach on the coaching staff for the last six years under coach Rick Finati and coach Nystrom, of course, he has left John Carroll to take a head coaching job at Moravian university, which is near, which is in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, same town as Lehigh, which is kind of that Northeast PA area. So, which is about an hour and a half from where he grew up in New Jersey outside of Philadelphia. So he's kind of heading back home and he's getting an opportunity to be a head coach. He's he's in his early 30s, very young and um, but I know that he's a, he's a player's coach and we wish him nothing but the best here at John Carroll and and from all of us here at Streak Center as well in the athletic department and all that. I know he's he's going to do a great job. And we're we're definitely going to miss him. We're going to miss coach Baker, we're going to miss coach Nystrom. They had a great 8 and 2 season, you know, this past year and and I know that you know even with coach Rick Fanati retiring and then you know having to step in as interim coaches they i thought they did a really good job and and uh you know and, but it's just it's it's new it's a new era of Blue Streak football now with coach Behrman and, and company and uh, i'm really looking forward to the future of Blue Streak football and just carrying on that that men of Carroll legacy that makes the John Carroll football program so special and so unique and it's just a joy to play for a joy to be a part of as well as as you know myself i was a um, you know I, I I did work for the team as a filmer for three years and uh, as filming practices. I've called games the last five years for radio and live stream. Wrote the book about the 100 seasons of John Carroll football. So I, I know you know I know that Coach Berryman being an alum and and all that having a tremendous amount of experience. And I've been able to meet him. Really really great guy. We're gonna have him on the podcast at one point in the next couple of weeks. But uh, it really I think I think the the program is gonna be in good hands. And looking forward to seeing. What the future will hold, as well. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at StreakCenterJCU, and also uh, JCU Sports uh, on Twitter for all of the latest JCU athletics updates. Also, JCUsports.com for live stream links, live stat links, game stories, and statistics, all that, and more on JCUsports.com. Thank you again.